Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We've been doing the series called God is Here. And um, there was a period of about 400 years where um, there was like the silent years where none of the prophets were speaking and then all of a sudden God intervened into uh, different people's lives. And um, he intervened to bring them hope, intervened them to bring them courage, intervened to bring faith in their situations. And I don't know where you find yourself today, but God also wants to be in your life. God wants to do something in your life today. And as that word was brought this morning, um, God definitely wants to work in each individual's life. God is a personal God, and God wants to do something in your life too. Even in the, the, uh, the names, Zechariah and um, Elizabeth, who had John, if you take their names, the meaning of the names, God actually even implants a message right there. Now, Zechariah, we've been told earlier, means <clears throat> God remembers. And then you have Elizabeth, which means promise, and then you have John, which means grace. So if you put those together, God remembers his promise of grace. So when he comes down... God remembers uh, your situation. God knows where you're at. And there is sufficient grace for you in your situation. And then you have the story where it goes on from Zechariah and Elizabeth. You have the story of Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And again, the same thing there. If you take their names and you take the meaning of their names, you can actually see what God is saying even through their names. So you have Joseph means he will add. And then you have Mary means their rebellion. And then Jesus means Jehovah's salvation or Yahweh's salvation. So God, if you take it like this, you can say, he will add to their rebellion his salvation. So our rebellion, you know, because we've all rebelled against God, we've all sinned against God, we've all fallen short and sinned against God, but God doesn't bring judgment. The Bible says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So instead of God condemning us, which he had the right to do, he sent uh, his salvation through Jesus Christ. And you have the story, you know, now we get to the story where the um, angels all of a sudden appear to these uh, shepherds out at the, the out you know, tending their sheep at night, and obviously just was maybe just an ordinary night. And all of a sudden the Bible says that a great host, well, this angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And suddenly, um, I mean, this, I don't know if you can imagine the sight thousands upon ten thousands of angels all of a sudden glorifying God. You know, and God chooses these guys um, to make this announcement that a Savior was going to be born, the Messiah was coming, and he announced it to these guys. And, you know, the, if you put the context of what, but about these guys, you, you can get some uh, information from uh, the, he, the Hebrews. They wrote uh, what they call the Talmud. And from the Talmud, you can get a lot of information about um, the culture of the day, about um, what uh, the Jewish uh, rabbis, how they would interpret Scripture and how people had to live out their Scripture that they uh, read about. So from the Talmud, we get a lot of information. And it tells us about these shepherds, that these are the guys who were sort of the lowest rung in society. 
Um, the, the shepherds were uh, regarded as uh, ritually, or uh, they weren't allowed to go and give sacrifices at the temple because they were defiled. They kept on touching dead things. They were work, walking amongst all the, the dung of the, uh, from the animals. So they weren't allowed to go and um, give sacrifices at the temple. They were excluded from that because they were always uh, what they call ceremonially unclean. So um, the things of God, the very you know they they, they were the guys that were t- tending to the sheep uh, for the sa- for the temple sacrifices, and they were excluded from that. And uh, another thing that we find from the t- uh, from these writings is that the uh, they weren't allowed as witnesses uh, in uh, court hearings. Their word wasn't counted for anything, so they they word didn't carry much weight. So they weren't allowed in court hearings. And I just want to read. Uh, one, of, one of the things what uh, um, the ancient commentary said on Psalm 23, verse 2, this is what the, one of the rabbis wrote. He said, there, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. So this is the, the, this is the great announcement that God made. A host of angels come along, and he comes to these people, the people that are sort of like dis, disregarded, put to the side, disqualified, and God comes and speaks to them. So sometimes in our life, so, you know, God obviously put stories in the Bible for our, for our benefit. You know, he didn't just make stories up so that we could have a nice bedtime reading. But he put in stories so that we could learn a lesson from that. And if sometimes we can feel excluded or we can feel disqualified, but God puts us in to say that everybody is included. Nobody is, um, nobody, everybody can share part of, uh, part of his grace. His grace extends to everybody. So if you're feeling excluded and you feel that, you know, you, you, God, you know, what's, what's your plans in my life? God has a plan and his grace extends to you as well. Um, the first thing I want to talk about in verse 12, it says, that, and this will be the sign to you, and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So the first thing I want to say to you is that God's presence is very personal. God is not the God of just the people and himself. You know, in the Old Testament, the, um, you know, the only person that actually could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And that was only once a year. But when Jesus came, we know that when Jesus died and when he breathed his last uh, breath, the Bible says that the, the veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies was rent in two. It was a sign to God to say that I want to have a personal relationship with everybody. It's not just for the, 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 the person that is chosen. Um, you know, when the, the angel made the announcement, you know, the angels could have gone to the high priest. I mean, that's guy, if, if I was going to make an announcement and I, wanted, uh, I want news to be spread, in our minds we would think, well, let's just go to the high priest. I mean, he's got the greatest influence. Or maybe we should, maybe the announcement should have been made to, um, maybe to the Sanhedrin, because the Sanhedrin was the, the ruling council of the Jewish nation. I mean, why didn't you, why didn't God choose them? You know, that's what we'd think. But God chose these shepherds excluded to show that everybody's included in His grace. And God's presence is personal, and He says there, this will be a sign to you. So I used to think about this, and I want to tell a little bit about this. You know, God is a, a God is a God that, that is personal. Uh, if we look at, uh, for example, when Nicodemus came along and he was speaking to uh, Jesus, Nicodemus said to uh, 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 to Jesus, "We know that we know that you are a teacher from God." And then Jesus, in response to Nicodemus, who is a teacher, says, "Aren't you a teacher of uh, Israel?" And then he, Jesus begins to explain from the scriptures, dealing personally to a teacher, from a teacher to a teacher about the scriptures. That, and he says that, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent, 
so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And he dealt with um, Nicodemus on a personal level. And if you turn the page in, um, in John chapter 4, we again we have uh, the woman at the well, where Jesus again interacts with this woman, this woman coming for water, and Jesus, he, he, he comes and he says, but I'm going to give you some water, which is living water. And Jesus gets very personal, and he actually digs into her life, and he starts to talk about all her history. And Jesus wasn't like taken aback by history. Jesus still extended her grace, and eventually he said to her, I am the Messiah, the one that you're waiting for is sitting here right here with you. So, you know, God wants to come into your life. He wants to be personal. And in whatever situation you find it, look to him because God is the God of the individual. So the, the, the sign was they were wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. So I used to think about it. Now, in Bethlehem, there must have been a lot of uh, mangers, or mangers basically a feeding trough for animals. And, I mean, that's what the industry was. So, you know, there must have been a couple of mangers. How do they sort of direct? It seems to be, if you read, read the scripture, the, the Bible in verse 16 says, they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, we know that um, when the, the, the Magi came, the wise men came, um, Herod called the, you know, the high priests and all the priests, and they said, well, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they quoted from Malachi, Malachi chapter uh, 5 verse 2, where it talks about the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, that the Messiah would be revealed from Bethlehem. But if you search the scriptures, in Malachi there's another scripture that talks about, and if you read different commentaries, they believe the scripture is also talking about the Messiah. From Malachi chapter 4 verse 8, and it says, here, says this, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Zion. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So here it talks about a king that the former kingdom is going to be restored to this king. And it's going to be revealed from the watchtower of the flock. Now that word, the watchtower of the flock, is the Greek or the rather Hebrew word, michtal eder, which is actually a place. So this place, uh, if you, you want to discover where michtal eder was, it actually was in Bethlehem. Because if you go to Genesis chapter 35, verses 19 to 21, it talks about the story of um, Jacob where he had to go and bury his wife, um, Rachel. And the Bible, Bible says that he went to Bethlehem. And then verse 21 says, Israel moved again, once again, and pitched his tent beyond Mechdal Adair. Now that word, Hebrew word there, is the same Hebrew word in, uh, that's described in uh, Malachi chapter 4 verse 8. It's the same place. So Mechdal Adair was actually a place. It, just, it wasn't just a, the, a description of the tower of the flock, but it was a place. Now at that place, the, the tower of the flock, they actually would attend to the sheep. And what they would do is they would build this um, tower. Obviously, they built the tower, and it would be a watchtower. They were able to look at the sheep and look, you know, just to guard the sheep at night or whatever. But also in that tower, they would actually um, look after the, the lambs that were born. And there's a, a man named um, Alfred Edershain. Now, he was a Jewish uh, historian in the early 1900s, and he wrote, uh, he became a Christian. And he also studied the Talmud, and being Hebrew, being a Jewish man, he was able to dig into those, um, all those ancient writings about the culture of that time. And he wrote a book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. 
And what he found was that when he studied the Talmud, he found that in Bethlehem there was a place called um, the Tower of the Flock, or Michal, the, the Hebrew word Michtal Adir. And was if, what he found in the, the, the Talmud is that they would take, uh, the, the shepherds were actually hired by the priests to actually bring up um, sheep for the sacrifice that would take place in Jerusalem. And they had certain laws about it because that what the, the, the Talmud was about was interpreting scripture and how to live it out and what they had to do certain things a certain way and so forth. And one of the things that had to be is that the, the lambs had to, hadn't, mustn't be more than five miles away from uh, Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is there, but Jerusalem is about five miles uh, south of uh, Jerusalem. They were, these uh, shepherds were hired by the, um, the priest to bring up the lamb, and what they would do is, um, you know, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, it talks about that the lamb that was going to be presented had to be without spot or blemish. There had to be no defects on this lamb. So when the lambs were um, ready to give, you know, when the lambs were, were going to be born, they would actually take the lamb, wrap it up in a cloth, and put it in a manger. Because, you know, when a, when a lamb is um, born, now I grew up on a farm from about 12 years old, and it doesn't take long for that lamb to get onto its feet and it will start springing around and it will fall over and bump itself. And if it did and it scratched itself or injured itself, that, wouldn't be, that the lamb couldn't be used as a sacrifice because only a perfect sacrifice would be acceptable to God. So it's interesting through his studies of the Talmud that the lamb that was born that was going to be the sacrifice was taken wrapped up and put into a manger. So when maybe when this announcement took place and he said, no, that there will, this will be the sign to you, that this child will be wrapped up and put into a manger, they must have thought, but when we do that, I mean, we do that all the time. We uh, take lambs that are destined to be sacrificed, we wrap them up and we put them into a manger. And I think that's what they do. They ran straight away there. They found uh, Mary because we know that Mary didn't find any place. So we know that Mary... Was uh, took Jesus and wrapped him up in uh, in these cloths and put him into a manger, and that the Lamb of God would be placed in a manger, just like the lambs that were going to be destined to be uh, sacrificed. So it's interesting for me that when you look into the history and you look and get a bit of culture, it actually puts a bit of context of why. God spoke to these guys and said, this is a sign to you. And God does the same thing for you today. I know there's times in my life where um, I need direction from God, and Natalie can testify to that, that I would, you know, I'll read my scriptures every day, and then at certain points in my life where I need specific direction, and I need to know where, which way to turn, because isn't it, uh, um, you know, when, you, when we are facing something, we, we want to know which way to turn. You know, when you get a crossroad, sometimes, you know, Lord, do I go this way? Is it this door? Is it this door? Is it this door? And you don't really know because you want them to do the right thing. And um, God, will, God will speak to me in the way that I understand that it reveals something to me. And it will be very specific on that reading for that night. I don't take the scriptures and then flick through it and then say, fine, well, what's the next up? And then point down and see what happens. I read my next reading. And in my next reading... God gives me a very specific word, and in the circumstance around that reading, God will direct me. And it's happened many, many times in my life. And um, the, the, before I came to this church, I mean, I was at Edge Church for about 15 years, and Natalie was talking to me about coming here, and I wasn't really willing to come over here because, I mean, I believe that you need to be planted at a church. The roots go deep. 
And um, so I was, uh, you know, one day, you know, I was just talking to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And then I left it alone. And then one day I was just walking through the house, just busy doing whatever I was doing, some chores. And as I was walking, the Lord just dropped this thought into my head. So I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't talking to the Lord about it. And I knew that God had spoken to me because that's what sometimes happens. The, the word just gets dropped in. You know, he just drops it into your thought because I wasn't thinking about it. So it wasn't like a led up to this thought that I wasn't even thinking about it. The next moment God says to me, you must lay your life down for your life. Lay your, lay your life down for your wife. So I thought, okay, but now that, how's that going to work? I mean, Lord, you know, how are you going to work all this out? I mean, prison ministry, that, uh, Edge Church is you know, my covering when I go through to the prison ministry. And, and I mean, how are you going to work that out? Not knowing that God was already working in the background. He was sorting those things out, and I didn't, wasn't even aware of it. But then I had to go and see my pastor, Pastor Pedro, and I wanted to tell him, look, I'm going, and I'm, you know, I want to be in good terms. He walked away, and he, says, he said to me that there's a welcome, there's a welcome uh, pad. It says, welcome, Peter, any time I can go back there. And I think that's if you do leave, if you do leave a church, don't leave on bad terms. Make may leave on good terms so that you have a, 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 a solid foundation to walk away with. So anyway, so that day I was going to go and um, see the pastor. And my reading that night talked about Moses leaving and parting to go somewhere else. So I thought, okay, that's fine. And then I also read, I was reading out of Faith, Faith Like Potatoes from Angus Buckham. And that night it actually talked about... And actually mentioned the word stepping off the edge. That was like the heading. So I'm thinking, okay, stepping off the edge. I'm stepping away from the edge. And so, you know, God is very specific. When he talks to you, and God can, if he does it for me, he can do it for you. And God will talk to you in your way that you understand. And there are other times in, in life where God will give me a scripture, and he gives it to me in a certain translation. I'll get a translation, I'll read it in that translation, because if I read it in another translation, it wouldn't have made sense to me. But when I read it in this translation, it made sense to me in the word, because you know, God knows what I know. And the word made sense to me. And I went later on and I looked at it in another scripture and I thought, well, it's just as well you spoke to me in that scripture, in that translation, because if I read it in the King James Version, I wouldn't have known what was going on here. So God speaks to us in, and he'll speak to you in your circumstance. So um, the next thing is that God, the Bible says in verse uh, verse 11 says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And then verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest and peace to those in whom his favor rests. So first of all, a Savior is born to us. And that Savior is going to bring us peace. Now, people are known for different things. If I say uh, Christian Ronaldo, what do you think of? Hmm? Soccer. Or if I say um, Tiger Woods, golf. If I say Jesus... I say Savior. Jesus is known as a Savior. And Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. So the Bible talks about here yeah, that he will bring us peace. First of all, the peace that he brought to us is, was the peace between us and God. You see, the Bible says that we were enemies of God's in our mind. That's the scripture in Colossians chapter 1 verse uh, 21. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 talks about that once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. All of us were enemies of God because of our sin. Our sin had separated us from, from God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your, transaction, uh, your transgressions and sins. 
But then in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 says, Since have we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? You see, we, we have peace with God and we're saved from his wrath because of what uh, the work of Christ on the, on the cross of Calvary. The reason that Jesus came was wrapped up because he was the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sins of the world. Okay, and the Bible talks about in Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Present tense, right now, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God, and God has re- reconciled man to himself through, through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We can rest in God that God's condemnation is no longer on us, because like I said earlier, God, did, uh, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God extends his grace to you, and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus for you and for me to reconcile himself so that we can have peace with God. God's righteous anger against sin is righteous. If you stand before a judge, you want a judge that is fair and right. I say to those guys in the prison all the time because they, um, I don't know if you've been before a judge, I've been before a judge once, many years ago, and, you know, uh, when, the, when you stand before the judge, you want to hear, you first, if you, first of all, you want to hear not guilty. And secondly, you want a judge that is righteous and fair. You wouldn't want a judge that is corrupt, that is going to be, make unrighteous judgments against you because, you know, he doesn't like your face or whatever. So God is the most righteous judge there is. He's always going to do the right thing. He's always going to judge fairly. And it's, it's fair to judge us for our sin because God cannot take our sin and sweep it under the carpet. Because then he wouldn't be God. Because God is not a liar. God has to deal with sin. But because God loves us so much, because God um, had to deal with sin, but God is, so God is just and God is love, at the cross, justice and love met. Okay, so the justice of God was satisfied because Jesus took that punishment so that we could have peace with God. And the love of God was demonstrated because Jesus died on our behalf. So the righteousness that... Um, we have now is because Jesus has, his righteousness has been imputed to us. We have, we are closed with Jesus' righteousness and because we are in Christ, we have peace with God. But now the next thing is another piece that I want to talk about is the inner peace that God uh, can give us. John chapter 14 verse 27 says, Jesus now is speaking, this is now at the Last Supper just before he's going to go uh, be crucified. He knew that this is now, this is it, this is the night He's breaking bread, he's having the, the Passover feast. So whatever takes place there is quite an important, you know, what Jesus wants to leave like real nuggets there. And one of the things he says here, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I was thinking about this, you know, so I've... I've how many of you guys get your peace uns, like shaken up a little bit from time to time? Okay? You, know, you don't be lazy, come. <laughs> All right. So I've had to deal with this because, you know, when God speaks to you, you know, you, as, a, as a preacher over here, we know, we, we know what the Word says, but we always have to do what the Word says. You know, so it's good to know it, but it's also good to practice it. So God has given me a lot of practice on this. Because, you know, the you know, business has been tough. It has been a tough year. And uh, tough decisions have to be made, and you know you just get pressure upon pressure and mounting and so forth, and then your peace gets unsettled. But Jesus says, "My peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives." 
So the peace that Jesus gives is a peace that we can hold on to and a peace that we should have and should possess because that leave is like leaving, it's like bestowing something when you leave something in the will. You're bestowing it, so this is it, it's yours. So but how come we get messed up and then we don't walk in peace all the time? But I thank the Lord that he knows that that's going to happen, so he gives us ways of how to handle it. So if I was thinking about it, and then I came to the story of Luke chapter 10, from verse 41, or from verse 40, it talks about Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha was busy, and she was basically, um, you know, preparing everything. And then she came to Jesus, and she said, uh, he said to Jesus, no, don't you care? Don't you care that, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and then uh, Mary's sitting out there doing nothing? And then this is Jesus' response. Jesus says, Mary, 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 oh, sorry, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part, and that will be not taken away from her. So I was thinking about that. Jesus says, you're worried and you're distracted about many things. So those are the things that actually distract us from focusing on Jesus, because Jesus said only one thing is needed. And the thing that Mary chose was the right thing, to be at Jesus' feet. Her focus was on Jesus. And um, what we need to do is when we are faced with our circumstances and we're faced with worries and we are distracted, one of the things that the the devil comes to do, and which Mary says here, she said, Lord, don't you care? So one of the things that the devil comes along and tells you, he says that God actually doesn't care about your circumstance. He doesn't care. Because Mary's, uh, uh, Martha's reaction was, Lord, don't you care? But Jesus does care. The Bible actually says, cast your burdens upon Jesus, because he cares for you. So I was thinking about that. So what the devil wants, he, uh, the devil wants a Christian to be distracted, to be worried, and to believe that Jesus doesn't care for them. Okay, I want to listen to this. Listen to First um, Peter chapter five verse eight, because in that place of worry and, and distraction and feeling that God is not caring for you is where the devil operates. Listen to this. Be sober and vigilant. Vigilant, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So yeah, the the, the scripture says that you need to be vigilant. What's another word for vigilant? You need to be open wakker. That's what I say in the the prison. Open wakker. So you need to be, because the devil is seeking whom he may devour. He can't just devour. He seeks whom he may devour. But he can devour the Christian that believes that Jesus doesn't care for them and that he's distracted and worried about things. Because the verse before that actually tells you in context what you should be doing. And listen to verse 7 says, verse 7 says, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Be sober and vigilant because the devil. So the context of the verse is, is if you cast in your cares, then then the devil can't be um, devouring you because you're casting your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. So um, in Isaiah, it talks about, it says, Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. The Bible says that we need to guard our hearts. In, in, um, in Proverbs chapter uh, 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Okay. So it's very important to guard our heart. And the Bible actually tells us how do we guard our heart. 
God answers us later in, in, in Philippians. He says we need to guard our heart because the Bible says that we need to pray. The way that we cast our burdens to Jesus is that we pray. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So if you want to guard your heart, you need to pray. And when you pray and you cast your burdens, and when you cast it there, leave it there. Okay? And then the Bible says that he will guard your heart and mind. Because it determines the course of your life. So if you're not casting your burdens upon Jesus and you're not wanting that peace, that is when the devil really begins to uh, devour you. We know just from a medical point of view, from a scientific point of view, that worry and anxiety messes up our internal system. You know, it gets to us. So, you know, sickness can start coming into your body because you, you stay in this place of anxiety. You don't have the peace that Jesus left for you. So Jesus gives us practical ways to get on our knees and say, Lord, I pass it on to you so that we can have that peace. Because he does care for you. And then lastly, I just wanted to show you that clip. Um, I, was, I was paging through, um, or you know, flicking through Facebook and I came across this. What is the conversation you have with yourself about things you cannot change? Praise the conversation you have with God about things you can change. So, you know, we can meditate. The Bible says that we need to meditate on God's worth because if you meditate, whatever you do will prosper. So worry is just a different form of meditation. It's just meditating on the wrong stuff. But when you meditate on God's work and you keep your eyes focused on Jesus and know that Jesus cares for and he loves for you and he wants the best for you and he will work it out and he will take you through that valley, okay, and you cross it, you're going to just be more at peace with peace in yourself. And everybody wants that. Nobody wants to walk around with a heavy burden all the time. And then lastly, I'm going to end with this. I'm doing okay for time. Verse 14 says, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's about God's pleasure. The definition of the word there means God's pleasure, his delight. All right, so if you look at that Greek word, you'll find that same Greek word in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for an adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So if you read that whole chapter in the chapter of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, what was God's pleasure? What was his delight for us? First of all, uh, the, verse, uh, one, the, the one verse in verse 3 says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I used to think about that. And I used to think, of, well, okay, that's fine, means blessed with every spiritual blessing, but what about me here on earth? Because, you know, sometimes we, we disconnect spiritual blessings and earthly, real environment. But every, every blessing that comes from God comes from the mouth of God. It comes from, the, from God who is spirit. And a spiritual blessing is contained in his word. So if you go, for example, to Deuteronomy, it talks about the blessings and cursings. When God was speaking, he says, if you obey all these commands that I give you today, you'll be blessing the city, you'll be blessing the country. You'll blessing your goings in and your goings out and so forth. And he talks about one blessing after another. Well, that's spiritual blessings. Those are blessings in Christ. The Bible says that every uh, uh, promise that we have is yes and amen in Christ. So if you can find a promise that talks about your circumstance, that is a spiritual blessing for you practically down here on earth. And the Bible says we meditate on those things, and when you meditate on those things, it converts into things that are going to translate into our environment. So that the spiritual blessing is not there waiting for us. The spiritual blessing is God's word for you today in your circumstance. Another thing says 
uh, what was God's pleasure? That we should be holy and blameless in His sight. Now that's an amazing thing for us. That when Christ died, He took our unrighteousness and He, and because we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've accepted Him in, into our life, His righteousness clothes us now. And we are holy and blameless in His sight. It's amazing that we can be holy and blameless because the, the Bible says that we are dead in Christ. The Bible says we are a new creation. God doesn't see us messed up. God sees us perfect in Christ. You must always think, I'm in Christ. And when you mess up, you still say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Then it says there, for the adoption of sonship through Jesus Christ. God wanted to have children. God wanted to have lots of children. And we can be part of God's family because of what Jesus has done for us. He says we have the redemption through his blood. Now, the redemption means to be bought. It means to be purchased. Jesus is purchased with a high price with his last blood. And because his last blood has been shed for us, the last thing it says there, that we have the forgiveness of sin in Christ. That we can be forgiven. Our slate is washed clean. And God never counts that sin. The Bible says, blessed is the man who God will never count his sin against you, will never count your transgressions against you. God will never condemn you anymore because God had already condemned Jesus for you. Amen. So God's presence is here. God's presence is here to, to heal you. God's presence is here to save you. God's presence is here to provide for you. God is here because he wants to meet every need in your life. Amen. Shall we just pray? Yeah, Father, we just thank you for this time when we... Um, we remember that, you know, 2,000 years ago you sent your son. Your son was born in a manger in a lowly place. But dear Father, he, he was wrapped in those, in those cloths as a lamb to be sacrificed on the, on the cross of Calvary. And dear Father, he not only died for us, but he rose again. The Bible says that he died for our sins, but he rose for our justification. That we are justified before you because of Jesus. And I'm going to um, ask any of you, if there's anyone of you this today, and you don't know Jesus, you don't know him as your personal savior, this, every year we, we, we celebrate Christmas, and maybe you've been through many Christmases, but today is a little bit different. If you don't know Jesus and you've never accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, you can do so today. And if you want to do that today, you can just lift up your hand and I want to pray for you. And then somebody else will come and talk to you afterwards. But if there's anybody that has, has never accepted Jesus Christ, or maybe you're like the prodigal son, you've, you know, you've, you've walked away and God is calling you back and he, he, he will run to you and all he wants is, is just to come back to him. Is there anybody there that um, you want to make that decision? You want to say, Lord, I want to change my life today. This Christmas is going to be a Christmas that is going to be different. You're going to bring health and healing and wholeness to my life. Is there anybody else? Okay. God also wants to bring health. God wants to bring provision in your life. And if you want um, for us to pray for you, I'll pray afterwards that you come afterwards. There will be people up here. And let them, let them pray into your situation. Let uh, God touch you because his presence is here today to bring health and wholeness into your life. Amen.